Okay, welcome back then, Tim Davies Fast Ship Performance. And today I want to talk about change and transition. There should be some music playing about now. Okay, right. Thanks so much, guys, for tuning in yet again. I haven't done a podcast for a while, and that's because I've been doing a lot of things with the company I'm working for. And also, I'm trying to consolidate things in one particular area. So right now, I've got like Patreon groups going on. I've got Fast Chip Performance going on. I'm doing Aerodist Podcast as well. It's like, right, stop, stop. I'm also building a course um, that I'm putting out on change, on transition, on decision making, so that we can all move forward in our lives. And I really want to bring things all together, not to put everyone on my course, but to uh, give all the stuff that comes out of the course I'm building to everyone else on here for free. That's the whole point. So you guys just get all that kind of stuff anyway. Just if, whether you want it or not, doesn't matter. Okay, you just have that. But today, I'd like to talk about leaving the military. I think that's um, an interesting thing for people to listen to. And uh, I think it's an interesting thing for me to talk about because I've been out in the military now for about a year. Well, actually, it's a year and 45 days. I left on the 1st of June 2018 after staying for about four years longer than my commission was so I had a 16 year commission and I decided to stay for an extra I think it was two years then another two years because uh, the squadron was in a bit of disarray and it was obvious especially from RF Manning that some of us being on the squadron a bit longer would help that as it turns out I'm not overly convinced that has helped a great deal from what I'm hearing from the state of the United Kingdom military flying training system today but of course the bonus of when something is at rock bottom is it can only ever get better. So everything is on and up, most probably. Now, caveat that with the fact that having been the requirements manager for the United Kingdom military flying training system in a fixed wing, bringing in the Phenom, the Grob 120TP and the Texan T6C, which is at RF Valley, uh, I am not the greatest advocate of UKMFTS, which is why I'm working for another company now called Aerolis, who are building an entirely different flying training system which is probably the one that we should have had in the UK in the first place. Well, that's different because there were things that happened that that gave you the system you've got. Right, anyway, let's talk about a few things today. We're going to just talk about leaving the military. We're going to talk about the courses I did. We're going to talk about the leave I took and what I did during that time. Then we'll talk about what I did afterwards, which was six months' work of contracting um, work that I pretty much did up until end of well until the beginning of this year. Then we'll talk about what I'm doing with a company called Aerolist. I'm not going to go too much into details, guys, because I run the Aerolist podcast over on that side. You can listen to that if you want, but we're all going to, also going to cover why that's different from UKMFTS. But that will take a little bit of time because I really want to go on to talk more about my transition out of service and what you can expect if you're doing the same thing. And also, if you're a city out there, it would be quite interesting for you to see how we come out of service. I'll then talk about civilians and how I find civilians and the differences between the people in the service and the people outside the service. And then I'll talk about the benefits of not actually being in the military. And there are a lot. Okay, there are a lot. Um, there's some massive amounts of benefits of being in, but there's a lot about not being in. And then I'll quickly cover just a course I'm building at the moment um, about transition, about decision making, execution and, and a lot of change, which I think some of you might be interested in, because I know it's something we'll struggle with. I most certainly did. And that's why I'm building a course now to help people. And that'll probably be another podcast in itself and maybe a whole new Facebook group as well to um, help people really kind of get hold of the changes in their lives that they need to make. Excellent. Well, let's start with leaving the military then because to me, that was quite a turbulent experience. And I think it is for anyone that was in for the length of time I was in for. So I was in for about 20 years. Contrast that with some people that maybe officers go into the army that they could do a three-year commission. I think it used to be. I don't know what it is now. Um, but 20 years is uh, a long time. I joined at about 
24 and a half. So I had worked a little bit previous to that contracting work in an engineering firm. And I had done university as well. And I joined the Navy um, back in 1998, spent about five years in that and then transferred to the Royal Air Force and did another 15. Um, I don't look back at my military time negatively. My wife does. And that's something that we're still talking about. And we can cover a little bit about that if you want, because your spouses, or, or if you know people in the military, their spouses will see their history in the military uh, different to them, the, the actual military person themselves. And there's a reason for that, especially when you come to leave the military, you kind of validate your spouse's opinions of your service in effect, if that makes sense, because you say, I want to leave this now. Um, and you obviously want to leave it because it's not what you want to do anymore. And that kind of justifies the spouse saying, I know you didn't want to do it. And it's like, okay, well, we have that conversation. And actually, you know, my spouse and I, when I left the military, we weren't getting on very well at all. I'll cover some of that. I'm not going to cover everything, guys. Don't get me wrong. Uh, we're a lot better now, but bloody hell, we were, we were quite nasty, to be honest with you. And I think that's quite common for a lot of people when they leave the military. So I left the military then. Why did I leave the military is quite a good question that we can cover initially. Well, as I said, I was the requirements manager for UKMFDS. Um, I saw the way flying training was going. I felt that we had people in the wing commander and the group captain level that were filtering the advice that the team uh, and on the squadron was passing up about what was happening with the flying training in the military. And it wasn't getting to the people it needed to, which would be the one stars and above. I can actually verify a lot of that, by the way, having spoken to um, a three-star recently, but that's fine. We don't want to go into details on that. Uh, and I thought, well, if we if we carry on doing this, is only ever going to get worse. We're only going to ever get a more depleted front line, which is, of course, where everything should be you know, the best it can possibly be. And I thought, I don't really want to be part of that anymore. I've done 20 years. I stayed an extra four. Why don't you get outside and see if you can change this from the better outside the military? Um, maybe you can come back in and do some part-time work, which I've thought about, and I'm going to probably talk to the Air Force about. I don't think the conditions are going to be satisfactory enough for me to do that. Uh, and also, I kind of, I've kind of broken from the military now in, in, in a nice way. Um, and so I thought, well, listen, it's causing undue stress your wife's not happy with this. You've done 20 years as one individual. You, you, you know, you've run the only podcast that the military's had for the last six years. There hasn't been the kind of change that you felt there needs to be. So why don't you get out? And so I got out. And I got out before I was bitter. And that's a factually correct statement. I got out before I was bitter. Now, I know many people that have got massively bitter in the service and then they've left and they've been angry and bitter outside. I still speak to some of these men and they tend to be men. Um, I didn't want it to happen to me, so I got out before I got bitter. So I now do a lot of work to help out the services. I promote uh, things all over. You know I'm a big fan of like the Royal Marines, for example. My father's a Marine. I've got a lot of friends in the Marines. Uh, I do a lot of stuff that where I promote them. I'm a big fan of the Royal Air Force, obviously, for looking after me. And in fact, I had an email recently, conversation with um, the new Chief of Air Staff, a guy called Mike Wigson, lovely guy, was saying, you know, happy to recruit you twice, Tim. Because he recruited me once when I came from the Royal Navy uh, to the Royal Air Force. He was the recruiter that took me in and he's trying to recruit me again, which I'm trying to resist. Lovely guy. Got some, got some fantastic people now in senior positions in the Royal Air Force. He might well now see a bit more of a, um, an interesting change and transition in the services. Massive fans of the Navy. They had huge confidence in me, of course, when I left university and took me into the Royal Navy. I've got a lot of time for the Royal Navy. And of course, the Army, the British Army, I spent a lot of time with the Royal Gloucester, Berkshire and Wiltshire Regiment as part of my officer training corps. I did four years in that um, Cambrian Patrol, long-range patrolling competitions. I was an infantry. Is where I met my wife. It's Bristol University Officer Training Corps. So don't get me wrong. There's all three main services plus the Royal Marines that I'm a huge fan of. And I answer emails every day from people from these uh, these military arms about 
their careers and about what they're doing. And I'm, I'm really grateful to be able to do that. And in fact, I had an email from a guy in Brazil recently leaving the, the Air Force, and I, I might do a whole podcast on that, saying he read one of my essays, the one about um, uh, about quitting, about the Bovril snail, about me finding a snail trapped in a Bovril jar. And that's how I felt. I was trapped in the military and I realized I had to leave. Um, and, and he read that essay and he uh, he went back, told his wife about it because he, he was leaving flying in the Brazilian military and he, he really wanted to stay because everyone's telling him what a great job it was. And his wife said, look, there's a guy all over, you know, the other side of the world who's been able to give you advice that your guys in the crew haven't been able to give you. So listen to what he says. And the guy eventually said, there's a world out there I'm going to leave as well. I am privileged to be able to help people like that, guys. I really am. So uh, I left and uh, I went through the standard transition everyone does go through. So you can do some courses. Uh, you can take leave. So what you do, what you do is everyone tends to put the leave at the back end. Um, you put all your terminal leave, about, about 30 days, I think I had, and you put all your um your leave leave that you've still got remaining and you put all your um terminal leave that and then you have this resettlement stuff as resettlement things that you have so resettlement's 30 days everything goes at the back it ends up with me kind of having about two and a half maybe three months off <clears throat> excuse me at the very end uh, and during that time i did a a week-long course on crew resource management which is interesting stuff and i did some other courses like um, financial aspects of resettlement that's a one-day course i think there's housing course you can do i didn't do that one and then there's some other courses, bits and pieces you can go and learn about what it's like to be in, in the world. But it's not a great deal. I think it totaled my entire resettlement to be about three days in the end. Considering you'd done 20 years, that did not in any way prepare me for coming outside. Factually correct. It just did not. And my wife the whole time was like, you're going to find it interesting outside? And I'm like, I think I will. And it, it was interesting and it still is. And I love it because I look at the, the Air Force as a shade of blue, which it is, and, and the outside world civilian as a shade of a rainbow. It's crazy out here. And I love, I love all the bits and pieces of it. And I'm still trying to work it out in my brain what's going on. But that's cool. I like people. I'm quite fortunate in that respect. I'm a big fan of people. So I did some courses. Uh, and that courses allow you to get out of your squadron and allows you to go and sit there in a crew room, in a, in a, sorry, in a room like in Tidworth or Cotsmoor or whatever, with some soldiers, whatever, and have great lunches and chat to people. It's not, you don't get much to do it, but it gets you off the squadron. I would say, guys, and you know I've been saying this for a while, is prioritize that that time. Don't think you've got to contribute back into a squadron again. Get out of the military. You're now, once you decide to leave, that time in the military is done. Keep your work ethic up because you're professional, but go and do these courses, prioritize them. And if your boss won't prioritize the courses, step up to the station commander, step one above him, step two above them. You need to prioritize that stuff. Don't be a martyr. No one cares anymore. You've got to separate yourself. You've done your time. That's the best advice I can give you. You've done your time. Now you owe it to your family and your friends and yourself to transition. Okay? Military into civilian. Else we're going to leave as a bag of wank, guys, on, on the day you leave. And it's like you, they cut your card in two. I think they cut the corner off now, which is actually really nice. Then you get to keep your card. Um, but you leave and it's horrendous and it's turbulent. So how do we minimize that then? Well, you're not going to do my course because my course isn't really for you guys. It might be, but my course is more for civilians going through transition events, change events, life change events is what my course is for. Um, we'll talk about it a bit later. But what you are going to do, hopefully, is not jump straight back into the world of work. That is some solid advice I can give you right now. If you've done you know, 10, 15, 20 years, hell, even if you've done six years, just take three months off. Just take three months off. Plan something, you know. I'm a big fan of European cities. I was in Oslo recently, Stavanger. I did a whole tour around Norway with my wife. Love that shit. Love it. I go to Berlin a lot. 
Love that. Um, I was in Paris recently. You know, I, I just love all that culture. Since I've left now, what you'll find as well, I think, I've written this down here, what you'll find when you leave is that where you've been conformist, what where you, you've had to, by the way, you, you didn't have any choice by that, you know, you understand that. Conformity is the enemy of creativity. It just is. They're opposing, such as the same way that the efficiency of the United Kingdom military flying training system opposes flexibility. That's why it's not flexible. That's why it's broken because it's not, you can't flex it because it's efficient. It was designed to be efficient. I'm not ranting. We'll talk about it a bit later. But in the same way, by you conforming in the military, because you had to, because you're the same as everyone else, and that's fine, it's very difficult to be creative because as soon as you start doing anything a bit different, imagine walking into a crew and going, hey guys, I just did some painting last night. I just did a lovely painting, a lovely kind of abstract thing. People are going to go, what? What are you doing? What do you mean you're painting? Stop it. Go and fly jets. Stop being an idiot. Get back in your helicopter and, and go and gun some people down. Or transport some, I don't know, some people in the back of your big herc. Um, people don't like people that are different in a conformist environment. That's fine. It's natural. I'm not being critical of it. But what happens when you leave, all of a sudden your eyes open up and you're like, oh, there's art. Oh, I'm interested in a bit more of this music that I never experienced before. I'm going to go to this concert because my wife says she likes violin whatever. It's just really kind of strange. I'm massively into different kind of art now for some reason. I haven't got a clue why. I wasn't before. I like different kinds of music now. I wasn't before. Um, I, it's kind of strange. You know, I, I always started writing anyways in the military. That kind of put me out from everyone else. made it a bit kind of weird, but that's fine. And I still kind of write a bit less now, but I'm trying to write a bit more. Um, I do the podcast, obviously, for Aerolist. I'm trying to do a bit more creative copywriting for, for them. But what I'm saying is you come out and all of a sudden other things open up to you that were closed before. Now, you can be an idiot and you can not embrace that because, you know, you're a warrior, right? Or you can just say, okay, it's a new life. Let's just see what happens. Look for new experiences, yeah? Go to things you wouldn't normally do. That's what I do. Oh, seriously, I do this. It's kind of weird. So I was in Oslo the other day and um, there was a resistance museum. I'm not a museum guy, not really, but this museum was fascinating. Uh, and I always go, whenever my wife is speaking somewhere, she was at a conference somewhere. So I went out a day early. And um, I sat next to a lovely girl on the airplane. In fact, um, she was a journalist, a war correspondent. We chatted the whole way. Absolutely fantastic to get someone else's perspective. She, I think she's a bit of a pacifist. And of course, by, you know, I'm the opposite. So that was fantastic. And I went to all these different museums in Oslo. I wouldn't normally have gone to uh, before. And I do that a day when my wife is still speaking so that I can do my thing. And then when we meet up, we do, you know, our thing. I like to say it's probably her thing, let's be honest. But, you know, keep the marriage happy. Uh, so yeah, embrace those different things. I start reading different magazines. In fact, I subscribed to a whole world of different magazines when I left just to kind of get some balance. National Geographic, um, Wallpaper, which is massive about art and design. Love art and design. That's really feeding back into what we're making the aerialist aircraft look like as well now. So bring different things in. I spend about, I give myself, what, half a day a week now where I do that. I do stuff I wouldn't normally do. I, I literally go to um, workshops or I go to um, presentations or I go to theatres or I, I go to uh, art galleries or I go to music recitals, stuff that I never did in the military. I never thought I wanted to do that in the military, to be honest. But now I've come out, these things are all there. So you'll find that. You'll find that your eyes get a bit more open outside. Uh, but take maybe about three months off. People, I know a lot of people that have gone straight into work when they left the military. And I would say... Well, I can't really give a figure, guys. I would say the majority wish they'd taken three months at least just to chill and to get bored. That was some great advice I got. It was like, dude, just get bored. Just leave the military and get bored. Because you're running at 120%, if not more, when you're in the military. You're burning hot. 
most people in the military are burning hot. I know they're supposed to be like 5% doing 95% of the work, but the majority of people in the military are burning hot. Because in the military, um, it's pretty full on. When you come outside, you realize the sacrifices you're making in the military. Uh, that's not, if you're doing it outside, you get paid the big money. I mean, honestly, uh, people outside here, they don't want to go away the whole time. They don't want to do six months away on debt. And if they do, geez, you know, that's what oil workers do. That's what oil workers get, you know, rig workers, people that, you know, get the big money up in Aberdeen and stuff because they're away. People get paid lots of money for being away. You don't get that in the military. Salaries are bigger out here, right and wrong. Contract work is better paid out here, obviously, because you're not contracting the military. Obviously, we're not talking pensions, everything else, don't get me wrong, but... The common the common joke I get from people I used to work with was, well, that's because you you know you weren't paid very much in the military. Uh, I do look at the fact that you know we were flying these airplanes and and the the teaching. This is what I think is being found out now is that, especially the younger generation who are a lot more sensible than we are, they're they're going and doing a, a six month sorry six year typhoon tour and the sensible ones have managed to get that down to three somehow. Fair play to them, uh, and they're saying yeah I'm not going to go back and instruct anymore. You're not paying me enough to do that. I mean, it's, that to me is an incredible thing because I never, when I came through, ever thought about money. Uh, but these guys realize that their time and what they want to do with their time, probably portfolio work, which is what I do now, which is bit piece, uh, doesn't lend itself to signing up to another three years to um, sit at Valley on a Hawk or whatever it might be. I'm just saying that that's interesting to me. Take that as you as you read. So what do you do? Well, what are the Americans doing? They're paying bonuses. Of course they are because they've got to compete with airlines, massive pilot shortage, um, I speak to people in the airlines now. These guys have got stable working home environment and they love it. They don't love the flying. Once you've got the flying at your system, airline work, really, really great for some people, especially those with young families. I don't have that. Um, all those that want to go and experience distant lands, like my kid brother, you know, he's a bit of a uh, explorer and that's really cool because he's exploring not just different, different lands, if you know my brother. You know what I mean? He's exploring the whole world out there. That's what I'm talking about. Right, so what I do when I left then, I did a few courses. I did take those three months off um, where you can or can't work, depending on what course, what um, leave you're using. I did, as I said, a, a career resource management course. And then I went and worked on contract for a company called Cobham down in Bournemouth. They're a great company, a lot of time for them. And some of my friends are already in that company, so that made it really easy for me. Uh, the money was 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 pretty good actually, and I um, I and you can condition it. I did a day at home, and I did I think three days in the office down there as well. Stay in a hotel in Bournemouth, a bit remote. My wife was in Anglesey, I was in Bournemouth, crazy. So that's why you you know you get paid a reasonable amount of money for doing that. And we're involved in the ASDOT program, which is replacing the aggressor training in the United Kingdom. However, the contract wasn't brilliant. The Ministry of Defence didn't really want to pay the money that they should, and uh, so the contract, the whole thing fell apart, and rightly so. Uh, I think there are only two industry days over the whole three years or whatever. I mean, the whole thing, yeah, I think there needed to be more of a negotiation with, I think Tarlis was the first one to pull out. When that happened, everyone else started looking at it and going, well, if they can't make the figures work and our figures aren't working, what are we still doing in? People submitted bids and I think MED went, that's not going to work out for us. So they collapsed the program. I don't know what's going to be redone, to be honest with you. I know for sure I'm not going to be part of it anyway because it seems like a colossal waste of time unless people are going to be serious about um, the money. And that's something you realise as well. I think the MOD was saying that industry wanted too much and I was in industry at the time and I was I was privy to the figures and they didn't want too much. They were running very, very small profit margins. And with those profit margins, um, what you can't do is you can't accommodate risk in those profit margins. So it's like, we can't do it. You know, we can't do it. So that was interesting to be part of that and to see that on that side. That was that was a real fast burn, long hours project, uh, said living away. Um but at the same time as that was happening then uh, with Cobham, and they were a great team, don't get me wrong, as I said, 
I started work with a company called Aerolist. A lot of you guys know about Aerolist right now. And this is something that we're striving to really push quite heavy in is in, in the funding round that we're in at the moment, round three funding, which is um, capital investment. We're looking to bring in a significant amount of dollars really to build. We've already designed, but we need to build the, um, the pre-flying demonstration effect. So the aircraft that will actually fly, it will be out there as one of our aircraft, but it's just the one we're going to be flying in 2022. So that's where we are at the moment, doing a lot of work on that. I'm the strategy director, looking at all the global aims of the company. Remember, the, the aircraft we're building were never designed for the United Kingdom. As it turns out now, uh, I think the Royal Air Force has, has realised that actually as a surge capability, these aircraft can very much benefit and um, relieve the 370 students stuck in flying training currently. So there is interest from them, but that's not really where our, our interest is. Our interest is global and always has been. And anything that happens in the United Kingdom is a benefit for us. However, the Red Arrows is something that we are actually producing an aircraft for at the moment. Uh, one of our variants called the X-Variant will be specifically for aggressor training and Red Arrows um, aircraft as well to replace the aging Hawk T1, which is a fantastic aircraft. But the obviously the engineering principles behind the aircraft now in 1974 are dated. It's hard to maintain as obviously we're finding out with the Hawk T2 at RF Valley, it's difficult on serviceability. So Aerolist is fascinating for me. There's a great team of about 45 people that are currently involved in that at the moment. Uh, I, I do a lot of stuff towards the flying training syllabus, which is going to be, this keeps my brain moving, guys. That's what you need when you do the military. Get something really challenging. I mean, get something that's more challenging than you think you can do and you'll grow into the role because you're adaptable, all right? Flexible, all right, all that kind of stuff. Um, which which is what the Aerolist Flying Training Syllabus is, is flexible. It allows surge, it allows reduction as well, which is unlike UKMFGS, which was efficient and understandably why when it was set up, it was like, let's build an efficient flying training system. And efficiency works really well, of course, when you know exactly how many people are going to come in and out. But SDSR 10 and 15, they changed those figures, of course, and now they're stuck with a massive backlog of students they can't get through. That coupled with the fact that they tried to put five aircraft into the service over a two-year period, that shit never going to work. And all guys like me were telling people that's never going to work. And of course, as I said, the wing commander, group captain level, unfortunately filter out a lot of the advice they get from below. It never reaches the one stars, the aircon walls and above. And so what happens is um, everyone up top thinks everything's rosy. Everyone at the bottom thinks it's not. A lot of frustrations in the middle as people at wing commander, group captain try and get promoted. And then of course you get, unfortunately, stuck, frustrated. And that's why, that's why I, I, one of the reasons I left anyway, 20 years is enough. Anyway, so then what's the transition like been for me? Well, uh, the relationship that I was having with my wife at the time wasn't a brilliant one. I'm quite open about it, guys. Um, and I talk about this on the on the course I'm running. Uh, why not? Let's hide it. You can hide it if you want. Tell everything was rosy. It's a lot better now, by the way. Um, but we I've been through, in the military towards the last couple of years, I've been through two, I've been to a psychiatrist twice in the military. That was fine. A lot of the flight commanders, a lot of guys in the squadron did the same thing. Uh, a lot of it was just to get me off this squadron for a day. This is burning up here. Get me off the squadron. But actually, you know, go and see someone, chat some stuff down, realize that you're, you're not abnormal. You know, these are normal feelings. Crack on, get back in the jet, do the work. I'd recommend that to anyone. I went to see a guy down in Telford. If you are struggling, you're stressed, you're fatigued, go and see someone. Um, they can give you 30 days off, by the way. I didn't take that. I should have done. But they can they can move you. You probably don't want to get moved, but they can give you some time. Psychiatrist, um, Department of Community Mental Health. I've seen them twice. And then when I came out of the military, I'd had nine sessions of marriage counseling with my wife back in, was it post Afghan? I think it was 2011, 2012. I came back from Afghanistan. Um, talked through some things, which is awesome. Just because where you are is in the military is very often different to where your family is. So realign that. And now 
what we do now is we make sure we have time for each other, my wife and I. As I said, I go and find her when she's working out in Oslo. She comes and find me when I'm working out in Paris or whatever. So we're, we're re-blended, which is kind of cool, more respectful of each other's spaces, um, understanding the requirements of people as they move older, etc., etc., which is cool. But that was difficult at the time. When I came out of the military, it took some work, especially as we're living apart. So don't neglect the family as you come out. In fact, prioritise them, if anything, obviously. Um, but make sure you do find some employment because as humans, we need to be engaged. You've got to find something challenging of yourself, which is why, incidentally, now I'm doing aerialists full time. But also on the side, I'm building these courses to help people not go through the same turbulence that I went through. Um, and not just when I came out of the service, guys, I'm talking about in change. I'm very much interested in the decisions we make. The decisions we make, the choices we make, which is what life is about, by the way. Life is just a series of choices. So if you make, if you're in a diff- if you're in a place, it's because of the choices you've made. All right, it, wherever you are now, you can be upset or you can be as grateful as you want. But you made those choices and you got to where you are. Okay, so I'm interested in what those choices are. I'm interested in how you execute them, and I'm interested in the change process you go through. And that accountability is what I'm bringing to it now in in group dynamics of about five people. We'll talk about a bit later, and that's what I'm building. So not only have I got the airless stuff I work hard at, but I'm also doing my own thing in my in my say spare time. It's not at all. There's no spare time. What I'm doing in my other time. So when you come out, what it does, uh, leaving the military, it allows you to portfolio work, it allows you to work full-time on something else, it allows you to contract work, uh, short-time, profitable work, volatile. There's all these different things, okay? All these different things you can do. And that's why it's interesting leaving the military because um, that's not what the military does. The military is very singularly focused on one uh, unified aim, uh, commander's intent, which is fantastic. We love it, but out here it's different. So as I said, in the military, shades of blue, out here, all colors of a rainbow and that's interesting to me because uh if you think about how we get into the military um normally it starts when you're very young for me i was what four or five and you go into the cubs or whatever and then when you're about 13 i think it is might be 12 now you can join the air cadets which i did and then when i was uh, 18 went to university joined officer training corps i did four years in that and then i left that joined the royal navy did five years in that transferred to the royal air force did 15 so i've been in uniform since a very small kid, and that's partly because my father was military, father's father, 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 father's, all that kind of stuff was military. So my kind of line, my brother followed me in to the military as well. Um, and, you know, geez, that's, that's why we kind of go in. So what we do is what I'm saying is you self-select. You say, I want military service. You say, I want to do that. And I speak to a lot of young men, a lot of young women as well that are saying, I want military service. The people I speak to say, I want to fly an airplane. I'm like, well, you, can, you don't have to do it in the military. Go somewhere else and do that. But if you want military service, well, you self-selected. Then you go and present yourself at um, the average interview board, um, at um, the officer aircrew section center, whatever it might be. And you say, I want to be in the military. Then they sit there and they say, well, let's assess you, shall we? And they do all the assessments and they say, yes, you are the same as everyone else in the military or whatever. You, you, we know where you are. Um, you'll be good for us and then you come in. So you'll self-select, then you are select head. So now you're in this very defined band of people. Those people, well, you know all the traits of the people in the military or whatever. Um, they're very conformist, um, but they're very driven, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Conformity, yeah, that's an interesting one, isn't it? We've spoken about conformity, I think. Um, so, and then what you do, of course, is you leave the military and you're still in that band of people. And you come out into a world where that band isn't the same. There's some people in that band in, in outside and you, you tend to, relate to them and find them but everyone else is a is this beautiful mix of people just eclectic crazy 
fantastic and and the whole thing's weird i joined the rowing club i'm now the chairman of the rowing club locally and in my committee i've got nine people and the whole rowing club itself about 300 and something mix of people and you can say something to one person and they understand it and they action it and they get it done i'm like brilliant that works really well you say the same thing for someone else and all of a sudden you know they've gone mad it's gone crazy um they've told someone else there's gossip it's like what do you mean there's gossip what what, i'm 44 years old you're gossiping what's going on we're not school kids um but that happens then people form sex people and they're like this band of people that don't want to do this and we don't want this done and because you said this we're going to launch this campaign to stop this happening and it's like people just stop for a second okay people just stop so that is that's a crazy mix of people that you're going to find out here i love it takes up my time which is a bad thing. Um, and I've got to be very careful about what I say in emails. You can't be direct like we used to be in the military. It does not work. Not work. You, you send a direct email out here and see what happens. It just goes mad. You, you, you've got to change your language when you leave the military. And this is what I, I wrote something on LinkedIn yesterday, just a comment to a friend of mine, <clears throat> a lovely guy, ex-naval officer, really good guy, a bit of a mentor, actually. I, I, I look at what he's doing. I think he's brilliant. But, um, and uh, yeah, I just think he's great. And he was saying about transition out of the military and him and I both have the same conversation. And it's it's like, we just have to be really respectful of people that have never had any military service because we were indoctrinated pretty much into this way of working. Everything was very, as I said, conformist. It was, we knew the language we could speak. People never got upset. No, never, no one ever really argued. It wasn't really even about that. There's nothing to argue about. You're arguing with yourself. So what would you argue about anything? And we, you know, we come outside and you have to change that vocabulary and you have to forget and let go of where you were. Not forget, let go. Be respectful to the past, but that's in the past. Put it in a box, put it on a shelf, talk about it with your grandkids later because you are now a fill in that blank space. What are you? So now I am a strategy director for an aviation startup company. Okay, I was a fast jet fighter pilot or flying instructor, whatever you want to call it. I couldn't care less. I'm now a guy who builds transitional courses for high-performance individuals. That kind of thing. You've got to change your language. It does not work out here, and you'll be frustrated to hell as I was for the first six to nine months by trying to use the same language we used in the military with people who've never been in the military. Good. So that's what you're going to find outside, but it's fantastic, guys. Get yourself, as I find myself now, in museums, art galleries, all this kind of crazy stuff is happening to me now because conformity, as I said, I believe is um, a conformity opposite to creativity. Uh, And you don't have much creativity when you're in the military, of course, because we're conformist. Creativity doesn't happen. When you come outside, all of a sudden you can, I mean, I'm learning the drums. That's a nightmare instrument right now for me. I'm learning the drums. I mean, I bought all those electronic drum kits and I rock out. Yeah, like you read about. However, it's hard. I'm doing online courses. I should go and find someone who knows what he's talking about. But where did that come from? I never played the drums before. Anyway, so... That just all that stuff pops up. The difference is really, I don't want to go and label military severe. I think I've done enough of that already. Um, but as I said, there's a volatility in a population at large that doesn't doesn't reflect what you've done in the military. Um, you, know, you can tell people stuff in the military and they're not going to go crazy. Out here, people go crazy. Uh, people really do. You've got to be really careful about your language. Anyway, it's fascinating. I love it. I really do love it. So are the benefits of not being in the military? Hell to the yes, there are. And I'm finding it right now. It's really interesting. I would go back in tomorrow and instruct part-time if I knew the serviceability of the Hawk T2 at Irish Valley was enough that if I was working part-time of eight to 10 days a month, I was still going to be able to get the flying to keep me current. One of the problems when I left the military was that was not necessarily the case. Um, my currencies, it was just hard to fly. 
hard to keep current, hard to keep um, competent in what you're doing when you're flying so little. So I would definitely go back in and help the military because I really liked being in the military. I like what the military does. I like what people are trying to do with the military flying training system. However, full-time, no, never going to happen. Never going to happen, okay? The military is in a different place than it was, I think, when I was in, and that's sad to see. I'd, I'd like to see it rebuilding itself. I think it just takes a, just takes you know money, effort, people, time. Um, it takes a different kind of messaging from the top as well, I believe. We really need to start supporting people in the military um, more than we do, but that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, there's ways of doing that, whatever. Um, it just takes a bit of leadership, doesn't it? So are the benefits of not being in the military? Yes, a lot. There's a lot of freedoms. I can get on an airplane tomorrow and I do this regularly. I'm in foreign cities, Berlin, Paris, Oslo. Uh, you know, I can I can do that. I can sit there for as long or as little as I want because I work quite remotely as well, I remember. Um, I'm not always in the offices of Aerolist. I'm, I'm sometimes at home. I'm sometimes in a coffee shop. I'm working on my course. I'm writing my book. I can do that if I'm in Oslo. I can do that. I can't afford to stay in Oslo anywhere or to have a beer because it's like £9 a pint. I think the most expensive one I found in Oslo was £13.60. And that was in Stavanger. You would have thought that'd be a bit cheaper than Oslo. But that's an oil town, isn't it? £13.60 smoking a crack pipe. So anyway, that's um, £13.60. I'm still upset by that. I had to limit my usage to only 10 pints that night, legends. No, I didn't. I'm kidding. Um, 17. So you can go anywhere. You can do whatever you want. No one's going to tell you what to do. You're not in the military. That takes some discipline. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing, young people, about discipline. Um, in the military, you are disciplined. Now, let me kind of have a think about what that means. You are disciplined in the military. When you come out of the military, you are not disciplined. Why are you not disciplined when you come out of the military? He says, drinking some tea. Well, have a think about it. Think about the sergeant major on parade. He is enforcing that discipline on you. Now, in the military, you will say, I'm a very disciplined guy. Yeah, I'm sure you are. I was as well. Let's see what happens when you come out. Because I know what happened to me when I came out. I know what happened to my, phys my physical fitness and what I did when I came out of the military. I know what happened to my diet and how much alcohol I was using when I came out. I know what happened because I didn't have to get up in the morning at six anymore, be in the, on the squadron for 7.30, whatever. I didn't have all that stuff anymore. I could choose to do that or choose not to do that. I didn't have to make 91.9 kilograms for a Hawk T2 ejection seat anymore. I didn't need to do that. So I've gone from, that's 203 pounds, by the way. I'm up about 220 pounds now, but 20 pounds on over a year. I want to not diet, but I'm not doing the things I was doing that now put me in that. I'm, I've reversed that a few weeks ago to, to, to sort myself out. But it's taken me about a year, really, to kind of grip that. That's kind of traditional, by the way. When my dad left the Royal Marines, he had a few friends who used to come around the house when they left. And you can see these guys getting bigger and bigger because all of a sudden they're like, there's no reason to leave the pub anymore, is there? I'm just sitting in a pub. And Portsmouth was renowned for its pubs you could sit in. So you can see these people doing it. I get it. So you've got you to gotta take the discipline that you had that you didn't have that was enforced on you because make no mistakes that discipline is enforced when you come out you've got to get that discipline from somewhere else okay I talk about this a lot by the way to people that you know I coach people that I talk to online people that send me emails how do you get that and a lot of it is especially if your marriage isn't great like my marriage wasn't great when I came out guys so um I'm like I don't want to enforce that discipline on myself for the benefit of someone I'm in a relationship with that that we're struggling together you know what I mean it's like no no I don't want to give you that so that's changed now we renegotiated that contract so that's cool but what I'm saying is you've got to do it for yourself so we'll come on to my course about doing it for yourself in a second all right 
and I, I'm, I think a lot of you are going to be really interested in this, just hearing about it, not doing the course, but hearing about the course. So what I'm saying is I came out, discipline, problem, um, boundaries, uh, direction, all over the place, no boundaries really. Direction was in many different areas because it is, you come out, that's another thing you're going to do, guys uh, and girls, you're going to realize that you're going to do everything because in the military, that's what you did. You pick up anything. I'll do the crash. I'll run the bar. Yeah, I'll write the program for tomorrow, guys. Don't worry about it. It's cool. I've got that. Um, yeah, okay, I'll fly late today. Yeah, put me on first wave tomorrow. I'll suck it up. No worries. You know, fucking hero. That's what you are, okay? You come out here, and when you start being that guy or that girl that picks up an extra duty out here, well, that's that's what happens now in your workplace is you pick up all the duties. That's what happens when you run a rowing club. All of a sudden, you start running the, the rowing club as a chairman and now you're running the regatta as well. And now you're, you're doing other bits. You're running the kit. You're you're bringing your boats and you're doing what... It's mental because you start putting yourself out there as the can-do person and other people are like, well, I can get rid of this job onto that guy because he hasn't put any barriers up yet. So one of the greatest words you can learn when you come outside the military is the word no. <laughs> and just... Also, when I started saying no, I thought people were going to get really offended. They didn't. They were like, oh, yeah, all right. I was like, well, seriously? I was like, you're not going to get offended? And they're like, no, no, I'll, I'll get someone else to do it. It's fine. I was like, whoa. Now, I speak to airline pilots as well. They understand that a lot. People call them up and they say, hey, I'll pay an extra 300 pounds if you can work on your off day tomorrow. And you're like, mm, no. And the airline's like, oh, okay, I'll find someone else. It seriously is like that. It's crazy. Imagine saying no on a squadron. Mental. Anyway. When you come outside, you're not on a squadron anymore, guys, okay? You are your own squadron, as it were, all right? So that's the benefits of not being in the military, really, is you can look after your time a lot more. I love that. It's great, you know? Uh, okay, there are. you've got to go and join your own gym. You got to, I paid £82 for an hour-long dental checkup the other day. She said I had great teeth. Hashtag awesome, of course I do. But that's kind of part of the dental service that we've had in the military that looked after us. But £82, I went straight out private. I thought, I can roll with this. It's not going to be that expensive. 82 quid. Eight, so that's for an hour. But I only need it once a year, okay? Because she's obviously a good dentist. So once a year, I pay £82. Dental treatment, done. Tick, happy. I hope I can claim that off some kind of tax bill. But either way, you don't pay that in the military. Uh, I haven't actually joined a GP yet. I need to do that. But again, you know, that's, you've got waiting lists out here and stuff. So keep yourself healthy. And here's another thing you might not understand. It's valuable information in this podcast. When I was in the military, I was always nursing some cold or I always had some kind of throat bug or something or ears weren't great. Flew with it anyway because we're just heroes, right? But I mean, you can't not fly with these things. People say don't fly when you're ill. It's like, well, I'll tell you when I'm ill because I'm just having a minor cold here. Okay, I've had two barotraumas. You know, there's not going to have a barotrauma again. Not much left of it. But what I'm saying is I, can, I know when I can fly and when I can't fly. But so you do, you fly through these things, snuffles, that kind of stuff, you know? Uh, always had something like that going on. And I think it's heavily stress-related because since I left, I haven't been ill once. I remember there was a time, uh, must have been September, October last year, I woke up and I was like, oh, sore throat. And uh, by lunchtime, it had gone. Lunchtime, it had gone, okay? I, I don't know why. But I haven't been ill at all. And there's a lot to be said, guys, for not being ill. Those of you that are in the military at the moment going, oh, I'm always ill. Yeah, come outside. You won't get ill anymore. Now, a lot of that could be to not being in a crew room with pesky students that go away and play with random people at weekend and come back and bring lots of bugs back to the squadron. And, you know, that, I mean, that could be that. Or people, lots of kids and the kids always have bugs and the pilot comes on the squadron and goes, I'm so ill, but I'll fly. It's like, oh, thanks for that, buddy, because now we're all infected with bugs. But, you know, let's, it might be a little bit of that, but I think stress had a huge part to play 
in the fact that a lot of people on squadrons in the Air Force are flying when they're a bit under the weather, all right? Tired, fatigue, all that kind of stuff. Come outside, you don't get that anymore. I'm not calling to come outside because you're never going to be able to fly these jets out here, okay? Factually correct statement. So if you want to still fly, if you haven't got your system yet, and by the way, it's out of my system. I had a day about a month ago where I phoned my wife up and said, yeah, I missed the flying. And I do. But I spoke to a ex-Typhoon mate down the road here as well, and I said, a good buddy of mine, I said, Rob, do you miss the flying? And he was like, yeah, I miss the odd flight, but I don't miss the shit that goes around it. And that's the key. That's the key. I don't miss that that goes around it. Okay, so um, absolutely, you know, there are there are times I miss that. But that's good. That means it was valuable to me, and that's brilliant. Happy tick, move on. Let's talk about the course I'm writing, guys. So the course I'm writing at the moment, um, I think I put a, a video out about this course before. Uh, what it is, it's on the opposite side of this piece of paper. Here we go. So the outcome is to make you more of a resilient um, person, but also make you a leader in your community. That's the idea. It's to make you the hero of your own movie. Really, we're talking about instilling a significant amount of self-esteem in an individual, making them unstoppable, making them to be the person that is driving the change around their lives. Now, a lot of this is because we want to change people in our lives. This person, and I most definitely did when I came out, by the way, in my relationship. I wanted to change my wife. I wanted to change her for the better. Mistake, okay? What I'm now doing is being the example um, for everyone around me to follow. It's hard. Don't get me wrong. This is what this course is about. All right, so... What we're doing is we're talking about taking back control of your destiny in life. This is not a sales pitch, guys. I'm just dropping this in at the end of this, and I'm going to stop this at 45 minutes because we're not in control at the moment of our lives, are we? We know this. Uh, I want you to be the authority. I want you to be the, the hero in your own story, and a lot of people aren't doing that. They're following people. They're following what other people think. They're not – well, I'm putting stuff out for you guys, but you're, you're following what I'm putting out, and that's fine because it's me, right? But I'm trying to give you something of value here. Um, but I want people to stop doing what other people think they should do. I want people to set their own agenda. And this is what this course is about. So what, have you gone through uh, divorce recently? Are you going through infidelity? Are you thinking about, think about changing your job? Have you just lost your job? Are you thinking everything in my life is fine, but I'm not happy? That's going to make up 90% of my people, okay? I know why people aren't happy. People aren't happy because they're following other people's agendas. Okay, They're not mapping out their destiny for themselves. They're not being the hero of their own movie. They're not being the hero of their own novel. Okay, I want people to treat their life um, as a, uh, I think Joe Rogan says this, as if they've got a documentary crew following them around. It's like, what would you do now? Um, make, yeah, it makes sense. What would you do now? Are you going to sit in front of the television chaining 10 beers a night like I was doing when I left the military? Sat on a sofa. The TV wasn't even on for me, guys. All right. I've talked about mental health before. I used to sit in front of a TV. I wasn't living with my wife. I used to chain supermarket lager, 10 of those beers at a time, and the TV wasn't even on. Have a think about that. Where's your life going to go with that? Okay. I'll tell you where it can go because I've been there. It's not a nice place, a very dark place, in fact. We can talk about that in another podcast if you really want to. Um, so that's what the course I'm writing about is, is where I was. I'm telling people, like, let's not go to where I was. Let's, let's, let's get this before we're there. It's going to be eight weeks followed by another four. Okay, it's a, it's, um, it's, a, it's a session every week that we get on for about an hour, an hour and a half. Okay, there's a lot of media that you're going to be reading as well. All right, it's going to be reasonably pricey, guys, because it's my time. So I don't even know what this price is going to be right now. I'm getting advice on that from, um, from a mentor that I'm, that I'm with as well. But you know what? If I don't charge you, you're not going to turn up. You're not going to make that change and you're just going to turn around and criticize the course I've just delivered and just prepared for you. All right, I'm not going to have that. All right, it's a community. You go into a big community afterwards. It's a, the only way you get into this community is by coming through the course and you're there to support each other, accountability, and drive that change that you need to see in your own world. That's what I'm interested in. 
That's why I'm spending the time doing the course. All that work, by the way, I'm also putting into the aerialist flying training syllabus that I'm building right now because we're talking about the whole thing we're talking about with that is about that resilience. It's about sixth generation. It's about gamification of that flying training syllabus, all right? Which is an exceptionally important thing. And I've got to do a podcast on that for Aerodist pretty soon. There's a piece of media coming out about gamification pretty soon also, okay? We've got psychologists, psychiatrists, everyone involved in this. The course I'm doing is also about gamification. You, you jump through some hoops, you get some power-ups, all this kind of stuff, and then you end up coming out as this fucking hero. And that's what I want because that's what we're doing the course for. Okay, that's what I'm inspired by. That's what I want you guys to be in. Guys, coming out of the military, it doesn't have to be a disaster. It can be super beneficial, but you're gonna you're gonna hit some hurdles. All right, you're gonna find some real trouble when you come out. It's gonna happen. You're gonna speak to people in a way you would speak to people when you're in the military, and they're gonna file shit against you. They're gonna file complaints against you. It's comedy. I had three against me when I was working. All right. Uh, you know, how do you even get that? I knew a guy that came out had six on his first day. In fact, if you're in the military, I think you know who that guy is because he's a legend. So um, it's funny as hell. He got six in his first day. He's just that character. A lot of time, people like that. Guys, look, if you're interested in um, the course I'm going to run, by all means, drop me an email. Uh, I'm still in the build phase right now. That build phase lasts for another four weeks and then we go live. Um, the book was about decision-making and I'm changing that now to about choices slash decision and transition, okay? So I'm using the material to repurpose into the book and I'm also chopping it down from 70,000 words to about 35. That's hard. You try chopping anything down, it's difficult. The reason I'm doing that is because I don't want you laboring through a 70,000 word volume. I want you just to have a, a really good piece of piece of work you can just get your teeth into. That course will obviously be, um, that book will obviously be part of the course. I hope this has uh, made some sense to people. Again, email's always open, people. You know where it is, right? Um, if you want some more of what I'm talking about when it comes to Aerolist and how we're building this sixth-generation um, fast jet flying training course, which also plays into rotary and multi-engine handling as well with the B variant and into the Red Arrows and into aggressor training with the X variant, then by all means, uh, listen to the Aerolist podcast as well. It's called the Aerolist Experience, I believe it is. We're trying to do more of those now because as we get funded, we have more resource to be able to do that. If, you want in, if you're interested in the course I'm running, again, as I said, drop me an email. I'll let you go there. 45 minutes, approaching 46. Sorry to take up your time. Really appreciate your enthusiasm for listening to this stuff. Hopefully you got something out of it. Okay, Tim Davies, Fussy Performance.